All right, well, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, looking at verses 18 through 17 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those blue Bibles around you so that you can make sure what I'm saying actually comes from the Word of God and not from my own mind. And flip it open to page 1021, and that will bring you right to our text this morning. I titled this message, Christians Know and Believe the Truth. Christians Know and Believe the Truth. As you know, we've been kind of working through a series here in 1 John. I found this quote. Actually, my wife found it online, and I just it made me laugh. So I want to bring it to your attention. This is a definition, I think a pretty good definition of atheism. You guys know what atheism is, you know? Right, you're familiar with that term? I think this is a, a worthy definition. Atheism. The belief that there was nothing, and nothing happened to nothing, and nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything. And then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits, which then turned into dinosaurs. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. They didn't find it as funny as I did, babe. I just think that is the most humorous thing ever. Those atheists, they have a lot of faith, don't they, brother? Uh, Tony told me he loves talking to atheists because they have more faith than he does. And so if he can just get them to realign their faith in Jesus Christ, they'll be gung-ho for Jesus, right? Right. It is accurate to say that the Christian faith, beloved, is not accepted by a majority of the world. If you've traveled at all, you know that. If you've done any online research, you know that. The Christian faith, even in our own country, is often criticized, ridiculed, attacked, or sometimes referred to as a myth or even a lie. A lie, beloved, created by men supposedly to control the masses. But this shouldn't surprise us. The Lord Jesus Christ, in regard to salvation and the kingdom of heaven, he had this to say in Matthew 7:13 through 14. Maybe you've heard it. He said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, that narrow or that wide, easy gate that leads to destruction, those who enter by it are many. That's what the Lord said. He said there are many And then he makes a comparison in verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Are few. That's the words of our Lord. He says again to his disciples in John 15 verse 18. If the world hates you, and it will, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but instead I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. The world hates you. For your profession of faith. For your testimony of me. For your allegiance and your loyalty to me. That's why they hate you. Not because you're stinky or you're ugly or anything like that. Specifically, because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Our faith, beloved, is not only challenged by those who say they don't believe in God, but it is also challenged by those who say they do believe in God. Those who identify as being religious or spiritual. From false religious circles all over come a multitude of voices, beloved, trying to convince us that their false religion is somehow better than Christianity. That they know the real truth. And the Christian, us, should abandon our faith and join them. To make it more confusing, some of these false religious systems are actually placed under the category of Christian. Okay? Some of these false religious systems are identified in some areas as Christian. For instance, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science, 
Unification Church. Unity School of Christianity. And if you're not familiar with these, good. But these are very large organizations with many, many, many hundreds of thousands, even sometimes millions of followers who supposedly believe in the one true God and have the truth that we should follow. Even though none of the groups I just mentioned, by the way, all of them are fairly recent, 19th, 20th century creations, even though none of those groups existed during the writing or the time that John wrote 1 John, the letter that we're looking at, he nevertheless had his share of challengers to the true Christian faith. John will refer to these challengers as Antichrist. As Antichrist, which we're going to get to in a moment. But these Antichrists he writes about are the more, even the more dangerous because they originally identified themselves within the Christian community and with the apostolic faith, but eventually they left the Christian community. They departed. Why? Well, to theoretically pursue the real truth about Jesus Christ and Christianity. Now listen. Because this is all leading up to this passage before we read it. Their departure, their leaving of the Christian community would have no doubt left the Christian community that was behind puzzled and maybe a little concerned about their faith. They may have thought this. Do we really know the truth? Do we really know the truth? And do those who left maybe know something that we don't? Do they have a greater or superior knowledge of Jesus Christ or Christianity? Because that's what they were claiming. That's what they were saying. They didn't didn't leave the Christian community and go, "We're we're done with Christianity. No, they left and said, no, we're actually true Christians. And the Antichrist, as John calls them, or false teachers that departed, they didn't cut off their communication with, their, with that former Christian community, but they con- con- continued to speak to them, to go after them. John says it this way, trying to deceive them. We'll read about it in verse 26 of our text today. Trying to deceive them, trying to win them over to their false position, hoping that this Christian community might abandon the apostolic faith they had come to know and believe. So John writes 1 John, specifically this text we're looking at this morning, in part to warn true Christians about these antichrists and also to encourage them that they indeed know the truth. They know the truth. Regardless of what these antichrists might be saying to them about their faith. That's kind of the setup for our text this morning so that you don't come into it blind. You come into it with a little bit of background. Now let's look at the Word of God together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Just follow along with me as I read. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that He has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. This morning, if you're looking inside of your bulletins, you'll find an outline. We're going to see four ways in which the Apostle John equips and warns his readers against false teachers so that we also might have confidence in our faith and not fall prey or victim to the many deceiving voices. That's where we're going this morning. That's how I'm going to handle this section of text. Now, we're going to skip a little bit around in this text this morning. And we're only going to cover point one. Okay? We're only going to cover point one. So this is a two-parter. You're going to have to come back next week to pick up the next three ways in which the Apostle John equips and warns his readers against false teachers. So this morning we're just going to simply look at the first one, which is the Apostle John identifies those who had abandoned the apostolic fellowship and teachings as anti-Christ. As anti-Christ. This is the first way in which the Apostle John equips and warns his readers against these false teachers. Look back at the text with me. We're going to read it again, the first two verses. There John writes, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, verse 18 that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John makes a reference to the Antichrist, in verse 18 there, look at the first word there, first term, Antichrist. It's singular. It's not plural. It's singular. He's making a reference to an actual person. An actual person and a key figure in God's final plans for this earth. Just as by review, by way of reminder, or maybe you don't know, the Antichrist is an evil person who the Bible tells us will be empowered by Satan and opposed to Jesus Christ during a period on earth called the tribulation, the tribulation that is yet to come. John writes here that they have heard. In other words, they have been instructed in matters regarding this Antichrist. They know about him and that they have heard that he is indeed coming, and he is. He is coming, but he hasn't arrived yet. Neither had he arrived in the first century, and there's no indication that he has arrived yet. But then he says, already though. So you heard that the Antichrist is coming, but already there are many Antichrists, plural, plural, who have come and are basically functioning or behaving like this future evil Antichrist. Why? Because they are opposing the true Christ in some way. They were fighting against Him and even are today fighting against Christ. They are Antichrist. He is basically saying this, beloved. These false teachers are really enemies. Enemies of Christ. Regardless of what they might be saying, they are enemies of Jesus Christ. They may say they are followers and friends of Christ, but in reality, they are flat out opposed and against Him. They have made themselves His adversary by what they are teaching about Him. That's what John is saying. It is important to note that the Antichrist, by the way, that he's referring to, as I said earlier, were originally part of the Christian community that John was writing to. They're originally with them, associated with them, at least externally. And they were claiming to be followers 
of Jesus Christ. But they left and abandoned the apostolic faith for their own version of Christianity. And John wants to make it clear that what that proved is that they were never really Christians to begin with. They were never really Christians to begin with. They belong, in a sense, to another camp. They are really anti-Christ. For if they were truly one of them, true Christians, them being those who have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, as we read about in chapter 1, verse 4, if they truly were Christians, they never would have left, but rather they would have continued on with them in the faith. In the faith. Now, beloved, this verse has been used in terrible ways. You know, sometimes people will leave a church, right? And the pastor, I've heard this, it's just terrible. The pastor will say, well, obviously they never were really of us because if they were of us, they wouldn't have left us, but they would have continued on with us. And the suggestion is, is that they're antichrist. Okay, so you can leave a church and you can move to another church. That doesn't make you an antichrist. Specifically, what's making you an antichrist here is they left, and when they left, they have departed from the apostolic faith. They are preaching a new Christianity, a new Christ. And they are not only doing that, but going back to the community from which they came and trying to convince them of this false, lying deception. Okay? The NIV translates 1 John uh, 2.19. It translates it this way. I like the NIV sometimes. I found it to be a little more helpful. It says in verse 19, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for... If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You just got to remember, it wasn't like there were 27 churches in each city back then. When, When they left, they left the church. They left the Christian community and basically created their own, but still attempted to call it a Christian community. John doesn't want his readers now to be shaken, disturbed by the departure of their former associates. That's what's going on. Okay, think about this. Think about, we have this body here, right? This local body of Christ. What if 20 or 30 of you who had been with the church for a while, had even been faithful in serving in the church, were maybe even, you know, up front, people knew who you were. What if you left? And in your leaving, you said that this church doesn't preach the truth about Jesus Christ. And that they, the ones who left, actually know the truth about Jesus Christ and Christianity. And you should come over to their side. That could be disturbing. That could be disturbing for us, beloved. Maybe we'd say, oh, you're, that's nonsense. Get out of my face. You don't know what you're talking about. But in the back of our minds, we might start to think, especially if we've seen these people in Christian service and community for some time, we might start to wonder, do they know something I don't? Maybe maybe I should listen to them. Maybe they have knowledge, some special knowledge that Pastor Jeremy doesn't have. John doesn't want his readers to be shaken by this. He doesn't want them to be disturbed. One writer says it this way, Look, as if this is what John is saying, look, don't be shaken, don't be rattled by their defection or wondering or be thinking, are they going after after something that we should be listening to? All you saw happening when those people left was the unmasking of hypocrites. That's what's going on. That's what John is saying in another way. That's all you saw take place. They're hypocrites. And that means they presented themselves as something they really were not. They're pretending to be Christians. They're saying they're Christians. They may even believe it, beloved, that they're Christians. But because they have abandoned the apostolic faith, 
They are not Christians. They cannot be. That's what John is saying, beloved. That's what the Word of God is saying. One writer says this, their leaving, quote, proved that they had a different spiritual origin. It's not ours. They've got something else going on. It's not of Christ. They are not for Him, but they are actually against Him. They are Antichrist. That's what the Apostle John, one of the twelve, is saying about these people. Speaking further about these Antichrists who formerly were members of the Christian community but had now rejected the apostolic faith and departed. And I keep saying apostolic faith. Let me just go back for a second with you. When we started in 1 John chapter 1, remember, it is the apostles, those representatives of Jesus Christ, that Jesus gave the instructions to to bear witness about Him, to tell us about Jesus Christ, to explain to us the Christian faith. Beloved, as Christians, we don't follow just some faith or any faith. We follow, we adhere to the apostolic faith, instruction, teaching, doctrine, as recorded for us in the Word of God. That's the one. Because they were witnesses of Jesus Christ and His official representatives. So John now says about these antichrists, we're going to skip now down to verse 22, 1 John 2, 22. He says this, Who is the liar? Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So I want to talk a a moment with you about this denial they were making about Jesus, this denial. As I've mentioned before regarding the background of this book, and this is I've mentioned this a few times, the common understanding among many Bible scholars is there was a worldly philosophy at this time that existed when John was writing that we know later on became more developed and prevalent and was identified as Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Beloved, this is just a... I can't explain this exactly, what Gnosticism is. It's difficult to try to get my mind around nonsense, just like atheism. It's hard for me to explain that to you or to justify it. I can't, because it's false. It's not true. It's the same thing with Gnosticism. It's a worldly philosophy. You know what it is? It's when men try to figure things out apart from the revelation of God. Because men are sinful, which means that their minds have been corrupted to some degree. And so when they try to answer big questions like, who made the world and why are we here and what does it all mean anyway? When they try to do that apart from the God who created the world and gives meaning to the world and makes sense of it all. When we or men try to do that, apart from God's revelation, they always get it messed up. They always get it messed up. That's what Gnosticism is. Another confusing human philosophy. And yet these people, the Greeks at the time, loved this stuff. No different than today. Go to any college campus and just start talking about philosophy. Oh, you have all kinds of people with all of their opinions and and what they think about the world. Blah, blah, blah. If it isn't informed by God's revelation, I don't want to hear it because it's not worth listening to. You're wasting my time and yours. that's, That's what I believe as a Christian. That's what I believe. My mind needs to be brainwashed and transformed by this the revelation of God. He's the only one who knows the truth. My mind is filled with all kinds of deceptions and lies. In fact, leave me on my own and I'll make up deceptions and lies. I might even believe it's true, but I'm a sinner still. I need this book. That's what we believe, beloved. That's what we believe. So anyway, none of that is in my notes, but this strange philosophy... This strange philosophy, it included this, this idea that all matter, the physical universe, okay? 
Don't ask me where they got it from. I mean, we could try to track it back, but in the end, you know where they got it from? From their corrupted minds. And I would add further, from the pits of hell. This is where they got this, this idea that all matter, that would include our flesh, is evil. And all spirit, or the divine, is good. Okay? Somehow, I'll explain it a little bit as best I can, somehow that led to the denial in this Greek Christian community, it led to the denial of the incarnation. Of the incarnation. Now, and I believe that's exactly what John is addressing right here. A denial of the incarnation. The incarnation, beloved, is the biblical teaching that God the Son, Spirit, Divine, became a human man or took on flesh, matter. Oh, that might be a problem for this Greek philosophy. He took on human, human flesh. He became the God-man. Jesus Christ, beloved, according to the apostolic faith, is fully God and fully man. That Jesus, we believe, was both Jesus the man in the flesh and Christ the divine Son of God at the same time, and He still is. He still is. One erroneous view that circulated around this time that we can trace back to the, the first century, right at the end of the first century when John was writing this letter, it originated from Gnostic-type philosophy. Again, Gnosticism didn't become fully developed until early 2nd century, so a little after John's time, but the roots of it were already coming out. Well, this erroneous philosophy, and I've told you about this before, was this, that Jesus was actually just an earthly man of Nazareth, and Christ was a heavenly deity or spirit or emanation, it gets confusing, who descended on Jesus at his baptism and departed before the crucifixion. Do you understand that? And if you don't, it's okay. Because I don't either. But that was the thought that was going around that this... Because remember, flesh or matter is evil, spirit is good, you, couldn't, you can't have the two together. They couldn't be permanently united together. So somehow this good spirit just came and visited Jesus somehow, but then had to leave Him. So Jesus was never fully and completely, absolutely the Christ. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, because, and I don't want to, because it's dumb. Because it's not true. As a result, according to them, the man Jesus died on the cross, not the divine Son of God. Now, think about... The Gospel of John. Remember, the, the guy who wrote First John is the same man, the same apostle that wrote the Gospel of John. Do you remember how John begins? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go down a few more verses later. And the Word, that very Word who was with God and is God, became flesh took on matter and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. You think John's getting at? See, these false teachers and, and much of what we have written in the Word of God is addressing or correcting or rebuking, beloved, false teaching regarding Christianity. That was 2,000 years ago. How much false teaching do you think has accumulated over the last 2,000 years? It's confusing. Yeah, quite a bit, brother. It's confusing. It is confusing. It was confusing then. It's confusing now. But that is Satan's M.O. He is the master of confusion. Now, some reading 1 John 2.22 where it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? They may simply think this, and I, and I would understand why they might think this. If you just read this, they might think that John is talking about a denial that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, similar to what many Jews say today. Right? If you speak to a Jew who does not 
accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And by the way, Messiah and Christ are the same terms, okay? Christ in the New Testament, Messiah, Christ is a Greek word, Messiah is a Hebrew word, they mean the same thing, anointed one, they're referring to the same person. Messiah, Christ, same person, same title. Some people think that this is just denial like Jews deny today. Oh, Jesus wasn't the Christ. But that explanation doesn't fit the context best. It does not fit the context best. There is something else going on here. Let me try to uh, help you see that. One writer says this, A study of John's letter makes it plain that that phrase denies that Jesus is the Christ. It does not simply mean making a denial that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ of the Old Testament. In the second part of the verse, as you look at the text, in the second part of the verse, in verse 23, he also refers to Jesus as the Son. The Son. And he talks about denying the Son. Denying the Son. Look back at the text. You, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So we have a denial of Christ, a denial of the Son. And the commentator goes on to show you that these expressions, Christ and Son, are linked together in Scripture, even within John's letter. That they, are, they cannot be broken apart. So for instance, just flip over, if you're in your Bible still, 1 John 5. You'll see here in chapter 5, same letter, verse 1. Here John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Just let your eyes go down to verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Is the Son of God. These terms are linked together. Christ, Son of God. Go to John's Gospel. Flip to the left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you can look at the very end of John. John 20, verse 31. There, John gives his purpose statement, the reason why he's writing this gospel. He says, but these are written, verse 31 of John 20, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, comma, the Son of God. The Son of God. Flip over to the left, Matthew. First book of your New Testament, 16, verse 16. Matthew 16, verse 16. Here we have Jesus Christ asking Peter, who do you say that I am? Asking his disciples, really. Who do people say that I am? And Peter responds, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. They're linked together. In other words, this actually, this denial of Jesus as the Christ, is actually a denial of Jesus' divine nature. His divine nature. As the Christ, as the Christ, He is the unique Son of God. As the Christ, He was and is divine. He was and is God in the very flesh. That's what's being denied. This understanding then, as we look at the further and broader context, helps us make sense of other passages in 1 John and even 2 John. Let me show you. Like, for instance, 1 John 4. 1 John 4. If you're not in 1 John, you can flip back there, look at chapter 4, look up at the screen. John will say a few chapters later, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh. What? Why would I... Obviously, who would not say Jesus came in the flesh? They saw Him. He was alive. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh. That Spirit is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, specifically that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So one writer says this, regarding this particular text. The error here, the theological error, the error about God and Christ that John is combating or challenging is defined more precisely as the denial that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Or perhaps the expression would be better translated this way, 
It is a denial that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. He is the Son of God come in the flesh. The Antichrist, the writer goes on to say, probably taught, as some later Gnostics certainly taught, that Jesus was born and died a man and that the Christ, by which they meant a divine emanation or spirit, was within him only during his public ministry, descending upon him at his baptism and leaving him before the cross. They thus denied that Jesus was or is the Christ or the Son. They made him a mere man who for a brief period in his ministry was invested with divine powers or even somehow adopted into the Godhead. Don't ask me to explain that, I can't. It's their nonsense. But they denied that the man Jesus and the eternal Son, listen, were and are the same person. Possessing two perfect natures, human, matter, flesh, and divine, deity, spirit. In a word, they denied the incarnation. Again, Regarding this phrase in verse 22, where he says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? One writer says this, It is not merely a Jewish rejection of Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah or Christ, since John at once proceeds to identify him as the Son. It is an attack upon the heart of the Christian message that God has made his ultimate self-revelation. That means... God has revealed Himself to us in the human Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. And you can look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He is the very image of God. He is God wrapped in flesh. You and I know God by knowing Jesus Christ because He is the incarnation. One writer adds this. It was unlikely that the, the writer, that's John here, was combating a Jewish denial that the Messiah was to be equated with Jesus. His controversy is not with Jews from outside the church. Remember? These are people that are part of the, were part of the Christian community, but with people who had at once, one time, been members of the church. In other words, that wouldn't be the issue. It's not an issue that they're saying he's, he's not somehow connected to the Christ, but they're denying that he specifically, in the same person, is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Divine and Holy One. It's interesting, because we'll get to it next week, but then John will go down just another verse later in the same text and talk about the fact that they, the Christians, had been anointed by the Holy One the Holy One, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. We'll get to that next week, though. Most commentators see some connection with the views of heretics who denied the reality of the Incarnation. And I see that as well. That's what's going on here. I believe that John is addressing the very same issue when you get to 2 John. Very small book in the Bible. But in 2 John, verse 7, here again, John says, For many deceivers, many have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Pretty strong words, huh? The one who denies the reality of the incarnation, that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, that Jesus is the divine Son of God, according to the Apostle John, is the enemy of Christ. He is a deceiver. He is an antichrist. Okay, so why labor away so long on this point? Here's why. Those who distort the person or character of Jesus in any way and thereby deny oppose the apostolic teaching. This is apostolic teaching we follow in the New Testament. 
Those who oppose the apostolic teaching regarding the divine and human nature of Jesus Christ, listen to me. They are not just people who have a different point of view about Jesus. But they still love Jesus. That is not the case. They don't just understand Him a little differently than than we do here. That's not what John's saying, beloved. He's not even even talking that way at all. He's not saying, hey, they're still brothers. They're still brothers. We're we're still good. He calls them anti-Christ. That's how he defines them. Liars. Liars. They are enemies of Christ. And by rejecting the Son which they have done because they reject the very nature of Jesus. They reject His divine nature. They reject His Christhood. That it is Son of God in the very flesh dwelling in Jesus. Because they reject that, they reject someone else as well, according to John. Look back at the text with me. It says in 1 John 2:22, Who is the liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one, beloved, you can underline this, highlight it, no one who denies the Son has the Father. No one. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Wait a minute. Did John just say that a denial or rejection of the true Jesus, his true nature and character, as it has been described by the apostles of Jesus, his appointed and officials, representatives, is he saying a denial of Jesus Christ in that way is equivalent to denying the Father as well? Yep. Yep. If you or anyone diminish Jesus Christ, distort His personhood, deny who He really is, then you can have no relationship with the Father. End of story. No exceptions. According to the Apostle John. According to the Apostolic Witness. One writer says this, John John does not accuse the heretics of directly denying the Father, but that is the sure result of their denial of the Son. And remember, this is not a denial like saying I don't believe in Him. Rather, it's a rejection of Jesus' true character, His divine nature, as it has been defined by His apostolic witnesses. That's the denial here. It is only those who confess the Son or acknowledge and accept Jesus for who He truly is that also have God the Father. That's it. People, you know, I'm amazed when people walk around talking about, oh yeah, I know God. Who? Who do you know? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you mean? Well, because that is the deciding factor according to Christianity. What you believe about Jesus Christ decides whether or not you have the Father. You don't get in with the Father just straight through. You can believe about Him all day long, but you have no relationship with the Father if you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And you certainly have no relationship with Jesus Christ if you deny who He very is. You deny His nature. And so John here... I don't know where I am. Now, oh, that's where I am. Now listen, these, these people he's writing to, remember I said this, I think, last week. If you look back at verse 13 of, of John 2.13, uh, the third part there, he talks about the children. He's speaking to them, to the congregation. He goes, children, you know the Father. John's readers knew the Father. They knew the Father. They had a relationship with Him. Why? Because they continue to confess the Son in all His glory. 
They accepted and believed the apostolic testimony about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, therefore they had no reason to worry that these antichrists out there who had departed from the fellowship might have something that they didn't. Rather, the reverse was true. They had something the Antichrist didn't. They actually had a relationship with the Father because they accepted the Son rightly. But these false teachers who had pursued or had abandoned the apostolic fellowship and teaching now were pursuing the Christian community and were no doubt disturbing them. You can imagine, right? Picture the scenario. Hey, Tony... I know I used to hang out with you guys, but listen, I've got a a new knowledge, a better knowledge. Let me tell you the truth about Jesus. Come. Well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? No, it's, it's a higher knowledge. It's superior. I know what John, the apostle, keeps telling you, but I have a, a better, higher understanding of Jesus Christ. And then Tony would, he would rebuke me. I know he would. And he would stand strong in the faith. He would stand against that. But you can imagine, for those who maybe weren't sure, maybe new to the faith, they didn't know what was going on, maybe these were dear friends. Imagine if one of them was your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your son or your daughter. That would be hard, beloved. That would be hard. And it would cause us no doubts, at least some of us, maybe all of us, to have a little bit of doubts. Do we got it right? Do we got it right? And that's why he says in 1 John 2.26, look back at the text, he says, I write these things to you. I'm, I'm telling you these things about those who are trying to, to befriend you, to win you over to the truth, to help you along the way of life about those who are trying to deceive you. The writer says this, although they have formally withdrawn these antichrists from the Christian community, these former members were still seeking to influence the faithful intent on deceiving and leading them astray from the apostolic faith and fellowship. John does not underestimate the strength and subtlety of these heretics and wants his beloved readers to be continually on guard against the heretics' deceptive efforts. And John, by the way, has given them a very strong reason to be cautious of these people and not fall prey to their teachings for they are, according to the Apostle John, antichrist. Okay? Liars, deceivers. They have no relationship with the Son or the Father. They don't have one. They can claim what they want to claim, but they deny Jesus Christ. They deny His very nature, and as a result, they have no relationship with the Father, for they have denied the Father as well as a result of the denial of His Son. They are not truly Christian. That's what John is saying. And I said at the beginning that we would see four ways in which the Apostle John equips and warns his readers against false teachers so that we too might have confidence in our faith, that we might have confidence that the Christian faith as the apostolic witness has testified to us in the 66 books or at least the Word of God here specifically in the New Testament, that it is the truth and that we also wouldn't fall prey to the many deceiving voices that are out there. Are there some deceiving voices out there? If you don't know... Yeah, there are. There are many, many, a plethora and abundance and overflowing of Antichrist. So we covered one way today, and, but let me apply this, this to our current historical setting just quickly, briefly. Every false religion that I mentioned in my introduction distorts the person of Jesus Christ defined by the apostles in God's Word. Every single one. And thereby, they deny the true nature 
of Jesus Christ. While they claim to worship God, the opposite is true, beloved. That's what John is saying. They can claim it. They can put it on their signs. They can put it on their website. They can put it on their literature that they worship the one and true God, but it's a lie. It's just a lie. It's not true. They are really antichrist. They are enemies of Christ who deceive with their lies and lead people astray. Now listen, they may be sincere. Okay? But as one person has already said, they are sincerely wrong. Now being sincere doesn't make you right. You can be even be passionate. I can get up here and be all passionate, but if I'm not speaking the truth, who cares? Who cares? I'm just passionately promoting lies. I can even believe what I'm saying, but just because I believe what I'm saying doesn't make it true. Okay? So they can be sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. They can even be nice people. Okay? That's not what we're saying. We're not saying they're, they're not nice people. I know many people caught up in these lies that are actually sometimes nicer than those who know the truth. Christians, unfortunately. But knowingly or not, whether they know it or not, they believe and they promote a lie. Don't whitewash it. Don't soft pedal it. Don't try to sugarcoat it. You believe a lie. I, you know, we're with the Jehovah Witness Foundation. You believe a lie. You believe a lie. What are you talking about? You deny the reality of who Jesus Christ is. You have no relationship with the Father. I I don't stand over them in some pompous, superior way, but I speak the truth. Oh, hey, boy, we we could be friends, I'm sure. Certainly we could be friends, but it will terminate at death because I will not see you again. Like John's readers, beloved, we must not be deceived. If you believe the apostolic testimony, if you're here today and you believe that apostolic testimony regarding Jesus Christ, and certainly as Christians we mature in our understanding of Jesus Christ, right? You've got a little child that receives Jesus Christ at eight years old. They don't fully get it, but as they develop, they will accept it. And if they won't accept it, that tells me one thing. They don't have Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with the Father because they're unwilling to accept the truth about who Jesus Christ is. So as Christians, certainly we grow in our understanding. But we're talking about your people who know and reject, who teach a false doctrine regarding Christ. If you believe the apostolic testimony regarding Jesus Christ, then you, like me, are richly blessed. We are blessed and I have no need of anything spiritually speaking, from Antichrist. They have nothing to offer me. The Mormon has nothing to offer me. The Jehovah Witness, spiritually speaking, certainly they could bring me sugar when I need sugar or eggs. We could be friends. We could be. They can provide a lot of other things. I'm talking about spiritually. Don't confuse it. These are people lost who are in need of saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the true knowledge. They need us to speak into their lives. But in regard to having them feed me spiritually, I am always flabbergasted when I hear about Christians who are having Bible studies with Jehovah Witnesses. What? Of course, the church is so willy-nilly now, so sugar-coated, pansy, I can't think of any other words that are appropriate for up here, that we don't, we don't say it like it is. We don't speak like the Word of God speaks anymore. We don't draw distinctions or hard lines like John draws. We don't call them antichrist or liars or deceivers. We should, not only for the protection of our own body, but for their well-being, to let them know we're not okay and God's not okay with your stuff. 
They have nothing to offer the Christian. Their religions and philosophies. And that would go on with the rest of all the human wisdom. Just read Corinthians and what Paul thinks about all this garbage and this human wisdom, always exalting itself like the new thing, the best knowledge. Oh, I've got it all figured out. Really? Did you get it from here? No? We're done talking! All this garbage... It's ultimately bankrupt. It leads people astray, away from God, away from eternal life. Indeed, beloved, indeed, these false religions and false philosophies, the people that hold them, they have need of what you have. They have need of what you have, which is the truth. Now let me quickly, just by way of closing this out, just so you know I'm, I'm not making this stuff up, let me quickly share with you just a few things about each of those, just those five, I think, one, two, three, four, five religions that sometimes are put under the title of Christianity. Let me share with you just a little about what they believe specifically about Jesus. How about Mormonism? Jesus is a separate God. Oh, good, they believe He's God. No, no. They believe He's a separate God. They don't believe in the Trinity, a separate God from the Father. Because the little known fact is you can all become your own little gods, just like Jesus. He's a separate God from the Father Elohim. You know how He was created? Well, oh my, what? He was created? Yeah! Jesus was a created spirit child by the Father and Mother in Heaven. That sounds very different than the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is the eternal Son of God. He was not created. He was the Creator. According to the apostolic witness... He's the elder brother of all men and spirit beings. By the way, Lucifer, Satan, is his spirit brother. He just was the bad one. You know, you have them in every family. One goes good, one goes bad, or maybe a couple go bad. Those are the hard families, but you know what I'm saying? But in this case, Lucifer went bad and Jesus was the good one. You know, kiss up. You know what I'm saying. His body was created, by the way, through sexual union between Elohim and Mary. That's Mormonism, beloved. I don't care how you paint it. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care if they're nice people. They are nice people. Many of them. I don't care if they have family values. Yeah, many of them have family values. I don't care. They are antichrist. They are liars and deceivers. Sincerely or not, that's the truth. Jehovah Witnesses. Well, that's easy. Jesus is not God. End of story. I had an eight-year-old on my side here while the two adults, I'm trying to have a conversation with them, and the second I talked about Jesus being God, this one goes off like a broken record. Or I said, I'm sorry, I said Jesus is God. And they said, this little one starts saying, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not God. Jesus is not God. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> what am I going to do? Because this is why I found this poor little eight-year-old. He knows no better. Mom and Dad told him this nonsense. Right? Here's their Jesus. Before he lived on earth, you know who he was? He was Michael the Archangel. Did you know that? He was Michael the Archangel. Which means he's a created being, by the way, because God created the angels. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. Oh, that's good. And after he died on the stake, because for some reason they don't like cross, so they don't believe he died on a cross, he was resurrected as a spirit, but his body was destroyed. He wasn't resurrected physically. Now see... You, if you ask me to start explaining this stuff, I can't. Because it's nonsense. It's like Gnosticism. The second you deviate from the revelation of God, it's nonsense. You want me to try to make sense of your nonsense? I can't. This makes absolute sense. Christian science. Now maybe this will sound familiar. Here we go. Now remember, all of these, 19th century, so somewhere between 1800 on, okay, in our time period, these are all creations since then. Jehovah Witnesses were not back in the first century, although philosophy-wise it was there. It's just been placed into a new organization and called something else. It's all the same stuff. Antichrist. So Christian science. Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Christ means perfection, not a person. Jesus was not God, and God can never become a man or flesh. There you go. Gnosticism. 21st century now. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically. He will not literally come back. 
Well, of course not, because he's just a man. Unification church. Big in Asia. And here, and here it has its followers. Jesus was a perfect man, not God. He is the son of Zechariah, not born of a virgin. Jesus did not resurrect physically. The second coming of Christ is fulfilled in Sun Young Moon, who is the founder, by the way, 1954. He's getting older. I don't think he's dead yet. But he's superior to Jesus. Okay? Unity School Christianity, Jesus was a man and not the Christ. Instead, he was a man who had Christ consciousness. You see? Do you see the do you see the distortion? In first John, here it is, just kind of kind of just flowing out of there and expressing itself in different ways, but all lies, all deceptions, all antichrist theology. Christ is a state of perfection in every person. Jesus had, oh, I love this one. Jesus had lived many times before and was in search of his own salvation. Jesus did not die as a sacrifice for anyone's sins. Jesus did not rise physically and will never return to earth in physical form. Unity School of Christianity. Unity School of what? Christianity. Beloved, according to the apostles, Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh. He was and is fully God and fully man. And if he wasn't, just one idea. If he wasn't, he's a liar. We'll, I mean, that's enough. So we worship a liar then. Or a crazy man. You've heard that argument before. But if he wasn't, let me give you a theological argument. He must be fully man, one writer says, to die for man. Right? We say he died for us as our substitute. So he must be fully man. But guess what? He must be fully God for his death to be of sufficient value to atone for sin. If he's not God, beloved, we remain in our sin. You can be confident in your faith and your relationship with God if and only if you adhere to the apostolic testimony written down and preserved for us in God's Word. That's where it is. That's where we have it. It's not another book. It's not a secret book not yet found. It's in this book that's Christianity. That's true Christianity. Anything that contradicts it is a lie. And it is the work of the Antichrist. According to me? No. Yes, according to me, because I'm just saying what John's saying. According to the Apostle John. Do not be disturbed, beloved, by all the voices out there claiming to have the truth. Don't be disturbed by that. It's been that way from the beginning. It'll continue to be that way until Jesus Christ comes back and puts down his feet on this earth and destroys all the lies once and for all. Satan desires to lead people astray, and his attack seems to always begin with distorting the person or character of Jesus Christ. You need to see it for what it is, it always starts there. They distort the person of Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. Come back next week and find out how God has especially equipped, this is cool, He has especially equipped us who are His people, Christians, so that we might not be tricked or persuaded by false teachers and ultimately depart from the truth. We can be challenged by them. We could have doubts even. But in the end, you've got to come back next week to find out why, we will not be persuaded to go after these lies. But they are there and they are dangerous. And we need not be deceived. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. That's what we believe it is. This book that we open up here every week, we believe it's your very word. That you, through your Holy Spirit, inspired men to write it. That they recorded exactly what you wanted written. And Father, by your sovereign and powerful nature, you have preserved those writings for us that they are now contained in this book that we call the Bible, which represents 66 books full of your word. That's what we're built on. That's the foundation of our very faith. Nothing less, nothing more, for certainly we need not more. Father, may we hear the words of the Apostle John, which are not just his words, but actually 
fully and completely and most powerfully your very words. Words about the truth. Christianity, as defined by the apostles, as I've referred to it many times, the apostolic faith. That faith, that set of teachings and doctrines about you, God, about your Son, Jesus Christ, about how one might be saved, that is the truth. Father, help us to believe that fully and completely and be willing to defend it, to stand up for it, and to tell others who are terribly deceived and have been led astray into lies. May we tell them the truth, Father. May we not sugarcoat it. May we not walk away from it. May we not ignore it. But may we speak the truth. And may knowing the truth and that it is the truth give us confidence that we indeed have a relationship with You and because of that, we certainly have the hope of eternal life. We ask You to do these things, Father, in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.